Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. John, basically, we help companies create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. Unfortunately, most organizations only spend about 2% of their time or about 40 hours per year building an effective strategy. And John, I, I don't know about you, I think that's kind of crazy that it's only that little. Uh, unbelievable. And, and so that's why our organizations call us to help. Uh, not only do we come up with strategy, but we, have, we facilitate your teams with proven practices to make it work. Interesting Harvard research study has shown that when you actually do the right KPIs, you can actually triple your success compared to normal and, and who wouldn't want that? So email us today at catch at 40strategy.com or you can uh, just go to our website at 40strategy.com. So um, with that, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna do a little shout out to somebody that uh, you don't know, but uh, it's somebody that has been a big influencer and help for me. His name is Adam Franklin. He's the author of Web Marketing and uh, CEO of Blue Wire out of uh, Australia. And he's been a great resource for me and connecting others authentically on, on media. But now I get to introduce uh, John Foster here. And, and so John, I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, you here. So um, I, I love the story that you helped share with, with your bio, but of course I get to add-lib a little bit because we've known each other for over uh, almost 25 years now. Many, think, many years, yeah. Which, which is kind of nuts. Um, but you, uh, you started out, and in, in after graduating from the University of Washington, you went in a couple of different sales jobs. You were doing Da Vinci Gourmet. And then ultimately, you, uh, along with your father-in-law, you saw this uh, bankrupt tire company. And you said, hey, let's, let's figure out what we could do with this. And so you took a company that was struggling. And then basically, over the next 15 to 20 years, you built it into a nimble, uh, strong, thriving business. And, and, and you are, uh, you've been the president of Marathon Tires, which is now called Maristar. Um, in, in 2000, um, excuse me, repeating that you, you have developed a flat tire wheel and, uh, you have committed and developed an incredible customer base. You have a lot of large big box retailers, uh, that trust you to help provide the product to them. And, and one of the things that I know from knowing you so long, uh, you have this ability to be able to continue to be focused, uh, and get serious traction with execution. Um, I remember this is days when, when we're back in the fraternity and you were the president of our fraternity and um, you would be yelling at me to come downstairs. Yes. So the fraternity thing started on chime. Uh, it seemed like I was the one who was always late. And yes. if you know me well, um, you, that's unfortunately a little bit true sometimes when it comes to meetings. Um, and, and, but the good news is you definitely credit the people who you're with uh, in terms of the people and culture. You have a great team that's helped develop to that. Uh, and, and you've done incredible things. One of the things I love and a personal note about you, you I've met your lovely wife, um, Heather, and you have a lovely family, three kids, and uh, you are like crazy at swimming and paddleboarding and, and, and sailing. And you've also summited Rainier twice. Uh, no, wait, one time. One time, and, yes. and, yeah. and you did the Tour de France uh, following, right? Basically along the path. A few of the stages. A few of the stages, yeah. yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, and, and then you also, at a personal level, you're the finance elder treasury, uh, high school volunteer at Sammamish Presbyterian church nice, and yeah. an overall great guy. So John, welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. I, um, 
don't know if you realize this, it is uh, 21 years to the day where Heather and I joined you and Sarah in Seaside, Oregon for the weekend. And the reason it sticks out is because I started Marathon that next Monday after that weekend away at Seaside. So wow. that's when it, when it all started. So I got to spend that time with you. To, I can't believe To this it. day? So to, to this day. day. Yeah. 21 years to this day. Wow. That, that is, uh, that is super time. cool. It yeah. is a super long time. I think we must have been 10 years old at the time, right? Yeah, about six, something like yeah. that. And yeah. we the, the tricycle was pretty fun uh, yeah. to get, get there back. That's nuts, man. Um, so tell me more. Tell, tell the, tell the, uh, I obviously know a, a bit about Maristar, but tell the yeah. audience what Maristar does and, and um, what, what keeps you up day to day. Yeah, no, it's good. We did, as you said, we started the company 21 years ago, and um, our first product was a flat free. Uh, Wilbro tire. That was it. That was the one product that I had. Thought it was an interesting product, interesting opportunity. There's nothing like it in the marketplace. Um, and at least so we thought when we started the company. This is kind of the internet was still pretty new and quickly learned that we did have some competition. Um, from there, what we've done really, you, you touched on this, they assembled a really strong team. And this, I'm still together with this team. It's been 20 years. Um, there's four five people that have been the core to this entire operation. And that, tell you what, that helps out tremendously. There's so much trust and um, and all that. So we've built a product line that includes tires and wheelbarrows and um, construction equipment, um, stuff that, that are sold into Home Depot, Lowe's, Amazon, Walmart. Um, so yes, we, we deal with some really big, big retail players. Which presents a lot of different challenges in that that regard. So in 2015, we were approached by uh, a large company, uh, large in our, our field. Um, uh, product line was a little different than what we were doing, and they saw us as a really nice fit uh, for their for their strategy, and so they acquired us. So I'm, now I work for um, a large corporation on the Nashville, Tennessee area. Report uh, to them. So that's that's been an interesting last four or five years figuring out how to how to work in a, a different corporate environment and still, fortunately, they still give us a lot of freedom. Uh, we're able to do a lot of fun things and, and try to keep keep small and, and nimble here out in the Seattle area. That That's and, and the the story of, uh, and what you're going to share a little bit more about it today, but um, it, it's pretty incredible of what's again of, of uh, you probably never imagined you'd be doing this today, right? You know, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, of, of, of going in and doing this and, and successfully being able to grow a company, first of all, being yeah. able to successfully sell it. And you do something that not a lot of entrepreneurs done is you've actually stuck with it, you yeah. know, and, and continued the growth of the company. And that's, that says a lot about you and says a lot about the organization that has bought you, right. That you've been able to find a quote unquote, a good marriage, right. Yeah. You know, to help drive the, the future. So it's been interesting times from a macroeconomic standpoint, oh. right? Over the, the past year for a million different reasons. And, and most people are aware of the COVID reasons that people would come top of mind with. But right. tell me, you, you, when we prepped on this call, you said there's some really interesting things happening in the macroeconomic economy. Tell me about that and how is that impacting your organization? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, obviously, in, in March, when, when COVID really was kind of taking hold and we were starting to get you know, pretty scared and nervous, um, I was really worried about the business. Um, what direction we're going to go? Is our, our plants going to get shut down? Is our warehouse uh, distribution um, network going to be shut down? And so there was a lot of a lot of concern and fear. 
what came from that in the next few months is what we learned that consumer spending went up dramatically, you know, travel trips and so forth. And so our demand for our product was people were focusing on improving their homes. And we saw crazy demand <laughs> for a product. Um, our best year ever was last year, which I know wow. a lot of companies uh, unfortunately can't say that. And I know there's a lot of struggles. Um, um, but from that, we're, we're seeing a lot of challenges on that. The, the macroeconomic side, as you mentioned, it's supply chain is extremely tight, hard to get raw materials. Um, shipping all over the world is extremely tight. The container spaces as a COVID hit, shipping companies pulled back their containers. And now there were not enough containers in the system to get product into the US, into Europe, into Africa um, throughout. So this, this is not just a Ameristar problem, but everyone is facing this. You know, I, I read that Volkswagen had to shutter five factories in Germany for a time being because they couldn't get opponents in to make cars. Wow. So that has just been it's been a real challenge. I think um, on top of that, we've we've last two, three years, we've really had to deal with this trade war with China. Um, and I, I do source a lot of our products and components out of China, as many companies do. And all of a sudden you get hit with a 25% tariff that we're paying. Wow. Huge impact to the bottom line. And of course, the companies, Home Depot, Lowe's and, and Walmart aren't real too sympathetic on that. They, they realize that's a cost of doing business. And so, you know, it, it forces product innovation and forces you to look at, okay, how do we cut costs even further and, and look how we can supply a product that meets a customer's needs, but still helps drive the business. Now, help help understand the listeners a little bit. So you have operations in the Seattle area and, and operations overseas as well, right? So, right. so um, it, it was interesting when, when COVID did hit, how long was your factory actually not working for over there? I mean, did, 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 was there, did it get shut down? Did you have actually real shut down things? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And it was, the timing was interesting. If you remember it, you know, for China, it was in February, um, was was right in the late January, early February is when COVID started to really manifest itself over in China. So the factories, it just coincided with the same time that the Chinese New Year was hitting. So the factories mm -hmm. were already going to be shuttered. So what happened is the three, four weeks that they're normally shuttered became five to six weeks. So there was that a couple week lag there. Um, so that did, did disrupt our you know, our supply chain for a little bit. Um, fortunately, we had, we front load a lot of our inventory coming in from the beginning because we're spring, summer season focused product lines. But yeah, I remember just working on contingency planning. Um, where are we going to find new product and different sources? And yeah, it was a very, very interesting time, Carl. For sure. <laughs> exactly. I, I, well, I, what's interesting, what you described, and, and we, we had this conversation, um, I think in one of our chats we had earlier of, you know, first of all, congratulations again of actually having a successful two-year year. I think it's one of the really interesting pieces that there's actually a lot of companies that have done really well. I actually have talked with a lot of organizations, but there's this kind of hush, right? You know, people don't want to brag right now, right, right. of being successful because it's like, well, there's, because there is, but so hard, like being a restaurant right now, what a difficult you know, time period, right? Yeah. And, and But some people have been in the right spot to be able to capitalize. With, with some of these macroeconomic things uh, that are taking place that, you know, are out of your control, what are you doing thing? What can you do to take some ownership and take some control? Yet you have a customer that's not willing to pay, you know, some of these tariffs and, and deal with it. They're demanding. They want to fill their shelves. Right. 
what type of things are you are, are if you can get into some um, kind of key level concepts of of how you staying nimble, you know, in these challenging uh, environment? Yeah, I think you know these these crisis type situations, if you will, just really force innovation, right? I think really taking a look at what's important for the business and what's really the key drivers. Um, you know, for 2021, we you know we're really taking a hard look at our product line. You know, I started with one one product. Now I have uh, our portfolio is nine nine hundred fifty items. Wow. Well, two hundred fifty of those items make up one percent of our sales, but wow. they take up warehouse space and they take up time and they take up energy. So how do we work more efficiently and more effective um, on the product side? And mm-hmm. and how do we take a the end, we want the end user to have the same experience when they bought our tires 10 years ago as they do today when they buy it today. So how do we deliver that same experience for the end user while taking some cost out, improving the supply chain, looking at different materials? So those are the things that we're really forcing us to, to focus on because I, I, can't, I can't increase container capacity coming out of China. I can't, unfortunately, get rid of the 25% tariff. So I have to live with those things. So it really forces us to be creative and innovative. I love that analysis that you did of, of how 250 of effect, effectively your 900 pieces are, are representing only 1%. And that's the classic Pareto principle, the inverse, right? You know, it's that, that classic, you know, the 20% of things that we're selling is typically representing 80%. And it's interesting. One of the things I saw some of the restaurants that successfully have navigated through this is their menus are a lot smaller now. Right. And, and, um, but that's brilliant, right? You know, there's this feeling of like, we have to provide everything to everybody because they, they potentially could come in, but you don't make money off that stuff. Right. And, and, and so when things are tight and it creates this constraints, um, those who navigate properly and you applying the proto principle um, end up finding there once you get through it, you're mm-hmm. so much more profitable in the back end, right? No. Because no. gosh, you know how, if you could get, get down to 600 SKUs from 900 SKUs, that it makes is. life a lot easier. Yeah, no, it's exactly right, Carl. It's exactly right. So um, times weren't always great, right? You know, with a startup. And, and one of the things I like to, you know, ask is, you know, how were you measuring success in the early days at, yeah. as you're bootstrapping this business? Yeah. Uh, w- w- what was that? And, and, um, Share with the, share with the audience what yeah. the key things are. Well, a, a couple couple things really come to mind thinking about 20, 20 21 years ago. Um, it was kind of the internet bubble. Do you remember? You know that that there was a oh, time yeah. where these these new the new befangled internet was really taking off, and these companies yeah. had tons of cash and they're spending it, and, you know, lavish. Um, and it was all very interesting, and their stock options, and it was just a crazy time. And that just didn't feel right to me. It just felt like, you know, I, I, I'd read that, you know, most businesses and true then as it is today, most businesses fail because they don't have enough cash, right? They don't have enough the resources. And so the focus for this business that I was starting, we didn't have a ton of cash um, to, to play around with was I got to really focus on our cash. I need to measure where we are at any given time with cash and spend a lot of time projecting where we'll be next week, next month, next year, and really concentrate on our inflows and our outflows and under, really get a true appreciation. So we, we spent a, real, a lot of effort actually um, modeling and, and creating the perfect 
quote unquote perfect um, model to help us make decisions on how we're going to spend our cash. Mm. And that really guided us as we could see that more cash flow was going to become available with, okay, let's take, let's hire that extra person. Oh, great. Now we can um, work on production uh, efficiencies. We can buy that new piece of equipment finally, because now we can afford it. And, um, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it was, <laughs> it was a tough time. I'd say the first four or five years of just really spending a lot of time in, in measuring that piece of, of our business. But I, Really, it paid off. I mean, it, there's no question that it certainly paid off. So, John, what, what came to my mind when you're saying that is, is it's, it's really common to, um, it, first of all, it sounds like you had this, you hit a certain cash threshold and that gave you the confidence ultimately to reinvest, right? And because you're right. thinking we can do this and, and go into you don't have to give too many details, but I'm, I'm curious for you. One of the things I like to talk with, with organizations about is having that safety net of cash, mm-hmm. the right amount of cash, the right, yeah. the optimum amount. And it's a little bit different for everybody, but from, from in those early days, were you trying to have one month of operating cash, you know, sitting the side, was it two months? Was it six months? Was it yeah. a week? You know, <laughs> what was, what was the, for you in those early days, what was that optimum amount of cash where you felt like you could sleep at night but you still had to stay, you know, grinding yeah. and making sure you're being efficient. Yeah. And remember the start of the conversation talking about the team, right? Talking about these folks that have been with me 20 years. So for me, first and foremost, the number one outflow that I needed to protect was, was the labor, right? The, yeah. the payroll. And so for us, I think um, that was my, my driver. That was my concern in terms of, you know, I need to make sure that I can keep this team. If we're going to be successful long-term, I need these key players with me. I didn't envision it was going to be 20 years they'd be with me, but I needed them for the next year, two, three years. So that was kind of our focus. So I, you know, in terms of an exact number, I don't know that I really have, we had like that, that magic number, but I, I know that the concern or what we were, were careful about is, was that, that payroll number to make sure that we had in the next few months type thing and that we were able to, to function and, and keep it going. Yeah, I, I I found often of that you know that two to three month window of of payroll is it it helps owners sleep better, yep. and 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 then it then it comes down to the question is does it make sense depending on your investment strategy and your return you could get in your cash do you go up to six months down the road do you go to a nine months right. to a year it, 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 there's this you know sometimes you could sit on too much cash right and right. and it's like you could get a better return by literally coming out of it. And because that, that's that, that part, especially when you have ownership role of, hey, if we invest $100,000 or something, we get $25,000 out of it. Why are we hanging on to that 100,000, right? Right, right? You know, because that's a huge, huge return on money to get 25% cash, you know, on investment. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, and that, that's, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, let's, let's pop over to the, the, personal side. Um, yeah. you know, once again, we, we've known each other totally long period of time. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, your, your family grow up. Um, so I'll, I'll do kind of a fun question for you. So what, what's the, um, funniest moment you remember about perhaps you and I, um, uh, that you can share, uh, once again, I'll put that to you for the audience of, of something that, that, um, you, it's pretty funny looking back at today. Well, I think the, some of the a memory that I share with you, um, you know, I think in the in the days of living in the fraternity, um, I was dating my now wife Heather, 
at the time we just started dating and my next door neighbor was this crazy guy named Carl Cox, Carl J. Cox. And there'd be late night study sessions at one, two, three AM and and Carl would would was it was a thriller? Would you throw on you throw on a little bit of Michael Jackson for us? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it was I, and a performance would would ensue and I think it was it was just, you know, you're studying for some crazy late night accounting test and and it was just it was pure mayhem. And I think Heather and I reminisce about our, our fun times about our crazy next door neighbor, Carl J. Cox, in the uh, in the in the Greek days. So man, I I do miss those college days. <laughs> they were they were a lot of fun. And that that was an epic and and um sober event actually because it was like yeah, two in the morning and yes. and uh it was um yeah that was quite an, a, a a dance event i will not reperform that just due to time and the whole thriller song because i think it was like the full version you know it was yeah, almost no, like you, you have the routine down for sure it was it was yeah you had a, you watched mtv quite a bit in your younger years yes <laughs> when, when that's when mtv actually had music videos you know right. you know right. so not not what uh not what it has today um so uh, so you're like a, uh, I think one of the things that I always find interesting with people who have been successful with their businesses is finding ways to keep yourself personally going. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you, um, you do some crazy stuff and, and you, you said you, you climbed Mount Rainier, which is a 14,000 foot mountain for those who aren't familiar with Mount Rainier, which is, um, a, a beautiful mountain in the view of, of Seattle. Um, what what do you do on a regular basis to help keep your motivation and keep your drive so you stay um you stay focused on a regular basis yeah it's good i um it's a good question i you know i think especially during this COVID, it's, it's interesting right during these COVID days um you know where these activities that i love i love you know like the i've been to france four times now on bike bike rides um, and I love that because it's just a really good goal, right? Like I need to train or it's going to be a miserable uh, six, seven days on the bike. So spend a lot of time on the bike, right? And so I, ha- I haven't had that goal, but I think I've, I've, I've found motivation and just, just clear my head, you know, with all the chaos that's going on and just really spend, you know, almost every day and doing some cardio, right? And just getting, getting out. And I'll tell you the stress relief of doing that, even if it's just a 20 minute Peloton. It's just fantastic, or a four, five, six mile jog. It's just, just getting out and enjoying. I'm definitely an outdoor focused person, and love the outdoors. And we're fortunate here in the Pacific Northwest to have plenty to do. And so, that's kind of the, the focus is make sure I'm active each each and every day. And I love that. So you 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 try to make sure you're getting at least twenty minutes right of like energy out, you know, yep. to, to to kind of keep things. Um, all right. So this is, this is, we didn't talk about this beforehand. So I'm going to be putting out the challenge that I Uh-oh. mentioned. So um, what the audience doesn't know is, is um, my, my son has been running and the other day he ran 13 miles. He's, he's applying into like going to military academies. And so he's been trying to be fit. And then I get this text message from John. He's like, oh, I just, I just ran a half marathon and, and just, I just did it. And I'm like, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and of course for myself, I've only like, I think I've done nine miles. I think it is eight, eight or nine miles is yep. the maximum I, I've done. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have this uh, a few years and that big five O mark. I want to run the Boston marathon. Yes. So I want to, I want to, that's a huge personal future accomplishment of mine. 
you just ran a half marathon. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Can we do it? Can we, you and I, this, can we personally challenge, can we try to, uh, this is on the air, you and I doing a marathon end of year somewhere where we can actually go and fly to and get it done. We're talking this year, 2021. 2021, you and I running a marathon. I, you know, I need, you know, this is true for the audience. This is the first I'm hearing of this. <laughs> I not, this is literally the first I've heard. And my, my 13.1 mile course that I created, it was the, uh, the my, my half marathon was quite the course. Um, wow. Carl, I think I, end of the year, you got end of the year. I'm thinking we'll find somewhere where they're going to hope, but some will be open up some November, December, somewhere between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Will the, will the course be all downhill? Absolutely. We're going to start at the top of Mount Rainier and just go down, downhill to the, the, okay. I, yes, I'm in. Yes. I need that goal. Yes, I do need that. Apparently I know what I'm doing this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we are committed. So um, you and I, we're gonna do this together. You're gonna go way faster than me. By the way, John's a like no. ridiculous athlete. So no. um, and I am a sprinter and I hate running long distance. So, um, but we're gonna do this. All right. So okay, we're, we're now good. we're now committed, and okay. I, I'm I'm super fired up about this. So that was my he. You didn't know. So I, you're I, fired up. Not the term I'd use, but yes, I'm, this is crazy. Crazy. No, it's absolutely crazy. All right. So John, tell me about how tight you were with cash and, and the problems you had. Uh, this is a pretty awesome story that you have about this. Yeah, no, it was a good story. It's kind of embarrassing, Carl. I, yeah, cash, obviously you got to watch every penny, every dollar. And one of my biggest customers at the time was Northern Tool and Equipment. And they have an annual supplier conference where you fly out and you, you show your wares and you meet with people and you talk and they have a banquet. And there's a box when I was filling out the application for the banquet dinner it was $250. Like, $250. I'm not going to, I can't have $250. I can eat my hotel room for $15. I'm not going to pay that. So I go back to the hotel room, get my shorts and a t-shirt and start working on the laptop and emailing and so forth. I get a call from my buyer from Northern Tool. The buyer's like, where are you? I'm in my hotel room. He's like, you're not at the banquet? I'm like, no, I'm not at the banquet. Because we just awarded you the vendor of the year and you're not here to accept the award. I, dude, I, I can't even tell you. I was so embarrassed. I ran out of the, I got dressed, ran out and made it to the very end where I got on stage with the owner of the company to get my picture taken. And it was by that time, I think dessert was over, coffee was being served and here's the vendor of the year showing up in a ragamuffin fashion. It was, it was some, something to remember. So yes, I did not spend the $250. That is classic, John. <laughs> So let's finish up questions. Your favorite book. One of the things I love to ask people is most impactful book or your favorite book or something you're working on now. What, what, what do you want to share with our audience? Yeah, no, that's, it's a great, that's a great question, Carl. I think um, I've been thinking about that. I, I read, this is like nine, 10 years ago. I was on a drive and the audiobook was um, that someone recommended was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which I, I don't know if you, I don't know, so it looks like you read it maybe. Yep, yep, absolutely. Kind of the premise of the book is basically, you know, we all work hard and stuff and we don't do the things that we should be doing, you know, enjoying life until we retire. Like, no, we, we should enjoy those things now, right? Right, And then not wait till we're retired. And so it kind of gives, you know, this is how you should look at things. And 
for me, it actually wasn't about the retirement piece. It wasn't about that, but it, what he said about how he changed his business really hit me hard, actually. Mm. Like, I, I just felt like he, it just really spoke to me that, like, why? Yeah, no, why am I spending my time? I, I, I equated to, I was like the small shopkeeper. You know, mm. I owned this little small shop and I knew everything. I knew where everything was located. I knew every customer that walked in the door. I knew everything, you know, but the business was, was had critical mass at that point, but I wanted to go further. I wanted that exponential. Mm-hmm. And so that this book kind of gave me the freedom, if you will, to like, Hey, you know, you need to go spend a half a day at a coffee shop and thinking about the business. Mm-hmm. You need to stop replying to the guy that buys $200 worth of product a year. Focus on the guys buying $5 million worth of product a year. Let's, let's look at your business differently. And that, so yeah, that literally from that point forward, reading that book, our business has grown three times in terms wow. of the top line. I was like, you know, the Harvard Business Review article that you commented on, it was exactly, you know, we, I spent more time on strategic thinking on, okay, what products are we going to sell? How am I going to grow this account? You know, that, those things that actually really matter and drove the business. And it, all from the silly audiobook, right? Like I, you know, from a silly title, I was like, man, it just, it's really probably only a chapter or two that really hit me in that way. But I was mm-hmm. like, oh, if you did that with your business, I, I can do that with my business. So I, anyway, that, that book to this day, when somebody asks like, what do you, that's the book. I, I think your insight in that it's interesting. I think a lot of people read this and, and they, they think, oh, I don't have to work hard anymore. And, and that's, that's no. kind of, you know, I mean, this no. is impression of like, oh, right. you're going to escape. And it's like, no, this is about, this guy is anything but a slacker. I mean, this guy is like bananas. Like you read the book and it's like, whoa, he didn't relax. He like, he like, you know, yeah. all of a sudden gotten mixed martial arts and, you know, traveling around the world. And, yeah. but, but so his DNA was still the same, but, but he learned how to ultimately, he, he was, it was being ridiculous. Just like you said, being so wrapped in the business, he wasn't working on the business. And then, right. and from that, it created freedom. Right. And, and, and that's what you, it's really cool to hear that you were able to apply what I think is the real principles behind that is learning how to automate, scale, think about, and, and create some freedom because I think one of the hardest things as business owners is, is we, we work so hard to make it all work and to have the cash flow to drive it. And we end up not enjoying the journey, right? right. You know, because, because we're so caught into it, but if we could find a way to, to, trust the people in our organization to automate things, to, to drive things. We not only can give the people around us more joy, um, we'll be more happy at home <laughs> at the sure. same time. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then um, actually make even more profit, you know, and make a greater difference. So yeah. anyways, I, I think that's a great example of, of sharing that book. Um, yeah. Thank you. So on is we were joking we we could probably go on forever and really bore people um but or actually have better stories that would bring up about like how you almost killed me uh when we we're camping and then was yes. the back of your truck but we Sorry won't about talk that. about that right now um but uh we've been talking with john foster from maristar we're, we're john where can people learn more about you yeah obviously our website maristar.com um is you can learn about the organization uh the other original website is marathon ind dot com marathontires.com is the other website that I'll link together. So that's kind of the background there. They can certainly reach out to me at any time um, via my phone number is 425-974-4788. If you ever want to chat about starting up a small business, again, that's 
974-4788. Love to talk about shop. And if you want to know anything about a specialty tire, I'm the guy. John, that is awesome. Thank you for being so much, sharing your uh, personal information. And um, when I, I'm real excited for when people are getting the feedback. And uh, to everyone else, thank you to listening and wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.